Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is back again. Although Rick and Nick are once again absent from the podcast that bears their names. My tire is spinning and I can't get any traction is the excuse this morning. This time? I, I thought you had told me earlier that they were in a ditch. I, You know, that's the funny part about it. Their story keeps changing. Luckily, we are not in a court of law. Their story seems to change just about every episode of the podcast, period. How about that week they said they couldn't get to their car because there was a neighborhood dog in the yard that looked like it might attack? So they stayed inside, had coffee and toast, and watched Judge Judy. I'm still trying to understand why these guys started a podcast if they weren't even going to show up for it. I'm not complaining anymore. I, I think it's a fun... I have a good time doing it. I'm not complaining either. And I'm sure our listeners are not. So welcome to you. Thanks for coming along for another round of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Always a wonderful place to go catch a movie. And we love having the Bemidji Theater aboard as our sponsor. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And I don't think Missy and the crew at the Bemidji Theater even mind that Rick and Nick don't show up. Apparently they are thrilled with us as fill-ins. Those guys are more like tourists anyway when it comes to being in Bemidji. You and I, we live here. This is where we are, and this is where we're based. Those two, they're globetrotting, hopping all over, and this is just one stop along the way for them. Good point. Do we even know they're here? Maybe they went down to the Mall of America. Better yet, Fiji. It's cold here. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I think they would much prefer to go to the warmer climes at this time of year, and they're just making excuses then to not drop in at this at this area. Although summertime, I don't know what their excuse is. The bugs? I don't know. Bugs aren't so bad. It's the humidity that can get you. But I look forward to those mornings because it's going to... You don't think the humidity can get you? It's worse in other places than it is here. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, go down to Bermuda. I bet you'd be pretty humid down there, too. Right. Sticky and mosquitoes together are pretty bad. But on a chilly morning like this, I would yearn for humidity and mosquitoes. Yes. Maybe. So, so with this edition of the podcast, coming up, Dave and I are going to talk about history and the movies a little bit, which can go many different directions when talking about historical adaptations on screen. Movies that that use history and, and historical settings as their backdrop, and they, they go a completely different direction in terms of plot. Uh, but then also movies that, that really try to stay true to uh, historical accuracy and, and elements of historical accuracy. But I do want to start on a, on a different note in terms of a, a current what's going on in the movies kind of note. Dave, Black Panther is tearing it up at it the is. box office, setting records here, February records, superhero movie records in terms of standalone movies. It's been incredible, Dave. It, this this movie is every bit the phenomenon that it looked like it was going to be in the buildup. I have not seen it yet. It's only been out for a couple of days, but I fully intend to. Uh, one, you got to give uh, you got to give credit to Marvel, though. I can't. I won't comment too much on the movie because I haven't seen it. But you got to give a lot of credit to Marvel 
it seems that every movie or every other movie, people come out of the theater, this is the best one they've done yet. And they go, oh, that's just hype. And then you eventually get around to see, like, you know what? They may not be lying. So they keep perfecting the wheel here. And Black Panther, which, is it the last one before Infinity War? It is the last movie from the MCU that is going to be before Infinity War. And he'll be back in Infinity War, so if you didn't get enough of Black Panther, stick around a couple of months and he'll be back in Avengers Infinity War, along with Spidey and Iron Man and all the rest of them. Uh, you got to give kudos to Marvel. That's hats off right there. Now we got to see if Infinity War can carry this forward. they got a heck of a lot of weight on this plate. Can they balance it? That is the the challenge that they face because – if there was one movie that maybe dropped the ball a bit in the the MCU, like to a somewhat significant degree, I think it was Age of Ultron, which was still okay, but it, I don't think it really wowed in a in a major way. But now we've got this, and and that of course is another one of those movies where they have to juggle a lot of people. And now Age of Ultron is doing the same thing, where they have to. Um, where they actually Infinity War, sorry, yeah. Age of Ultron, last one. Infinity War is going to do the same thing where they are trying to juggle so many people, so many stories, and be able to try to make that all work toward this this one story that they've been working toward for the better part of ten years. Yeah, and that's this is what comes after Infinity War. You know, you gotta think there's gonna be a changing of the guard in some cases. You've got a lot of actors that have been in these parts for, you know, Robert Downey Jr. in particular, about ten years. How long is he going to go on playing Tony Stark and Iron Man? There's a lot of talk this is going to be his last go-round. Yeah. So, and you almost kind of need to have that. You know, If he still had Sean Connery as James Bond, I don't think it would have the impact. You need to upgrade. You need to move. And I think there will be new characters and new actors playing familiar characters. So hats off to Marvel. Boy, have they done a great job. Now let's see if they can tie a great bow at the end with Avengers Infinity War. I look forward to seeing them both. And good for Black Panther. That's awesome. It is great. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it at some point. Once I get a little bit of time here to go to the theater, I'd like to go check it out. But yeah, that now comes the big question for Marvel. What's next? What do you do next? And and of course, when it's that constant question of when the superhero bubble will burst, but that's a topic that we've discussed at different times and, of course, may revisit on another day. It's but- not going to burst before Infinity War. That's the good thing. You know, and here's another thing to think about. January and February is tending to be the dumping ground for movies that theaters have, or studios have made that they don't have confidence in. It's they dump them at a time when most people aren't going to go see them because people have spent their Christmas cash. So is that the problem that people don't have money to go to the movies? Or when you put out a good movie like Black Panther, people are showing up in droves. So maybe there is no such thing as a dumping ground that wasn't just created by theaters. No one goes to see them because you're not giving them anything to see. That's right. If you put out a good movie, and if you put time and energy and focus into making it a good movie, they will come. If you build it, they will come. We how often have if we talked about? It, they will come. How often have we said that though? Applied that field of dreams theory to the movies. We've yeah. talked about that multiple times. It almost feels like common sense, Dave. And yet these these movie these production companies they they don't operate quite that way it it seems like for whatever reason they they go off previous numbers they go off history and and such if you put together a good movie and you market it right and you appeal to to an audience right then they will come yeah we'll take a look at you know say we'll stick with marvel spider-man for example spider-man 3 with sam Raimi and the amazing spider-man 2 
Both of those movies were jumbled, jumbled messes because the studio wanted to throw more at the wall, and they dropped the ball in a big-time way, and you could see the writing on the wall before it even debuted. So you had great lead-in movies, and then the next one went down. Why? What happened? There were great movies leading into it. You could tell it was a bad movie going in and coming out. Those that did, yeah, that, that was a pretty bad movie. And to the point where the franchise had to be rebooted, and now you've got uh, the new incarnation of Spidey with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, which did great. Now you got Spidey popping into the Marvel movies, and he'll be in Infinity War too. And That's right. So if you do it right, do it well, people will show up. Let's focus then on our main topic for today. And this was a topic that you came up with when we were in in the build-up to this. And I thought it was a great idea because history and the movies so often do come together. In many different ways, they come together. But the main question that always stands out is, well, what's the historical accuracy? And there will be those who will evaluate movies based on historical accuracy, which... I think is somewhat limiting in terms of trying to take in the scope of what a movie is. And yet at the same time, the history of the particular movie that the hist- that the particular movie is trying to depict, it can be a backdrop or it can be at the forefront of what is trying to go on. And that's where this topic of discussion begins. We should also probably jump in with and this is an interesting way to frame it, but there will be spoilers forthcoming. Uh, but you know, the same thing is spoilers based on actual historical events. So it's like watching Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio, having no idea the boat's going to sink at the end. And if people were making that as a joke, giving away the ending, well, the boat sinks. Why did you tell me? Wait a minute. What do you tell the, the boat sinks? You had no idea that Titanic something really, you know, but then again, you watch Apollo 13, you know, they make it back, but I'll tell you what, you're wringing your hands for that movie because the way they present it. Gosh, I really hope they make it. And then there's things like Inglorious Bastards, where you know Hitler wasn't blown away in a movie theater. What are you, what are you talking about? That's, that's right. A, that's a completely different type of history. So you've got all across the boards. And as a filmmaker, what is your responsibility to history? Let me let me begin with this, Dave. And I I think this is a message to all who go to the theaters and who consume movies. You are very likely to see a movie of a historical sense not totally add up to the way that it was historically. You have to go into the theater with that understanding. I think you need to start there and maybe allow yourself to let that idea go before you take in a movie and really get a grasp on it and maybe try to appreciate it from there. Now, sometimes some movies take great liberties with the historical adaptation that they are drawing from or from the historical, um, the, the true historical facts that took place. Some movies take take great liberties with it. Um, sometimes it seems like they're trying to be true and serious to, to the way that the history was. Sometimes they're not. I think it's worth taking all of those things into account if you want to get the best viewing experience when you are going to see a historical movie, but you've got to be a savvy consumer. You've got to be a savvy moviegoer, and it's really important to keep that in mind off the start if you're going to see a movie that has historical roots. Well, and even more, though, than that, I think you need to be a student of history in a lot of ways, because history in real life has a history of a way of coming around and repeating itself. Um, So there are times that I've gone in to see movies that are historically based, and sometimes it's about something that had occurred before I was around. 
Take, for example, it's one of my, actually one of my more favorite movies. It's called 13 Days. It's about the Cuban Missile Crisis. I wasn't around in the early mid-60s when all of this was going on, so I can't say that I remember it. And my history understanding of the Cuban Missile Crisis is about the same as anybody that was born in my generation. I'm a zenial. So uh, I, I knew about it, but I didn't know all the details. So I saw the movie really not knowing much more than the broad strokes. And I was, wow, re- really? And then I wanted to learn more about it. And as I went through, I found out that that movie is actually extremely historically accurate. But at the same time, it takes liberties in that, you know, you get President Kennedy and his staff in the Oval Office with the closed door. Who really knows what was said in that room? So they had to kind of come up with what may have been said. So is that part accurate? No, nobody can really know how accurate it is. But everybody that wasn't in the room looking in could find it plausible and believable. Who knows what they said? But, yeah, maybe it did go something like that. So were there liberties taken? Probably, absolutely, like in any movie. But the spirit of what actually happened is definitely intact, and wherever possible, they went to pretty good lengths to make it accurate. 13 Days, um, Bruce Greenweed plays uh, President Kennedy, and uh, Stephen Call plays Robert Kennedy, and it's told through the eyes of one of his advisors, Kenneth O'Donnell, who's played by Kevin Costner. It's a great movie, kind of on the long side, but very, very good. The difficulty, if you want to call it a difficulty, that these movie production companies have is they they have a certain sense of of loyalty to the source material as it came about in history and, and how the, the historical depiction of it is. And they also have a certain sense of loyalty to the consumer of their movies. So they are trying to put out a quality movie for that is worth coming to see, that is worth paying your money for, that you want to come and, and spend at the box office. And with that in mind, we, we get that, that scale that sometimes takes place, and, and where on the scale is it? Is it more historically accurate, which may in some cases mean it's a bit drier? Or is it more, uh, is there more of a Hollywood touch to it, as some would say? Is there more of that that is that is kicked in there and that takes away from the historical accuracy? And that is a challenge because they do have to recoup the money that they put in. Sometimes you get those passion projects. Sometimes you get those directors who want to stay very close to the way that, that things were, whether it's in costume or in 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 film in the setting of the film or in the um, in the props that they use in the film, and yet you are putting a lot of of budget into those things if you want to be able to get them right. But at the same time, where on the scale do they end up landing? That that is the challenge that that gets faced by these production companies as they're trying to put these movies out that have a historical bend to them. Absolutely, um, you you want to make a movie that's entertaining first and foremost. Historical, yes entertaining yes are you going to go for entertainment over at the cost of uh, history being accurate uh take for example um moments in history that something just needs to chronicle this uh one of the best examples of this is all the president's men go back to watergate and the nixon administration this was something that really if you follow, if you understand the story of watergate it started out as some tiny little thing some people broke into the dnc headquarters Nobody really knew much about them, but these reporters started doing a little digging, and, oh, they're connected to the CIA? Huh. Huh, their lawyers were paid for by the committee to reelect the president. What? What? You started digging away and peeling away this onion, and, oh, my goodness, how the ways it went. And to the point where, while Nixon didn't plan any of this, he wasn't directly involved in it, but he was indirectly involved in doing it, 
his obstruction of justice brought about the end of his presidency. Yep. You know, so it absolutely was a story all about the reporters. They dug and they followed the money and they took down Nixon. That wasn't their goal, but that's what they did. And that's something that when Robert Redford got a hold of this story that was coming out, because it's based on a book and the movie came out right on the heels of the book, um, he went very much for historical accuracy. But the movie only goes up to a point. Um, it, it doesn't go all the way through, but at the very end of the movie, you get to see the teletype that tells you all the stuff that would follow the events of the movie. So it really only right. follows the first several months of the investigation, but it's about the ball rolling. And then it reached, reached a point of critical mass, and it rolled on its own. I I like that it's kind of an uncomfortable ending in that way. You yeah. have that, that loud typewriter, which I know they use sound quite a bit in all the President's Men to really hammer home some of those things, especially in the newsroom. That that loud typewriter at the end, it's uncomfortable, but it, it hammers home the uncomfortable truths and things that came to light as as everything played out there during during the course of, of the entire scandal as it as it started to wrap itself up. Yeah. But but there's there's a prime example, yeah, of, of trying to, to hammer home especially um the historical the, the historical nature and accuracy of the specifics within that particular incident. Sometimes, though, you get a a movie that uses history as its backdrop and yet puts a maybe a fictional story mm-hmm. into it. I tend to like those. I, I like that they do something a little bit different on it. They make no bones about the fact that this is something that's a fictional story, but it comes within historical Framework, settings whatever. and parameters. And I one that that comes to mind immediately for me in that sense is Saving Private Ryan because you see especially off the start of the movie you see the very jarring nature of the D-Day landings in a way that had never been depicted before in And movies. very accurately portrayed too. Quite quite. And and yet you it's it's all surrounding a fictional story that's playing out in the midst of it. So you can get movies that are like that too where you're not getting the line based on a true story tagged on at the beginning of the movie, which more on that in a little bit. But you are getting a fictional story that's taking place amidst historical settings that may be very real. Another one, Master and Commander, Far Side of the World, has been talked about how accurate some of the sounds, the costumes. the It, it was a movie that was up for several Oscars when it, when it came out in the mid-2000s because the historical setting of it was very accurate, even if the story was a fictional one. And you bring up a good point. When you're talking about accurate history, we're not necessarily just talking about historical events. We're also talking about historical time periods. So you don't get somebody wearing Levi's jeans back in the 1940s. Well, I suppose you could if you were on a chain gang, but I mean, it wasn't the fashion. Or if you were in a DeLorean. Eh, That would be another story there, too. You know, James Dean is the guy that made the T-shirt popular, so you can't go back to the 1920s and just be wearing a T-shirt. You know, if you were, you weren't intended to be seen. You know, you'd walk around the house disheveled in a T-shirt. It didn't become a popular culture staple until about the 50s or so. You know, and so you got to be accurate to that. You don't have Master and Commander walking around on the deck of a ship wearing Levi's. And flannel pants. Exactly. You've got to keep it with the time, especially if you are trying to do it with the time, unless you're just trying to riff on it in, in some ways, which sometimes happens. You know, I know this is one of your favorite movies, so I'll just point this out as something fun. It wasn't intended to happen, but it was a goof. There's a scene in Lawrence of Arabia where they all go charging over the sand dune. 
problem was they forgot to get all the wristwatches off of the extras. Really? So back in historical times, in, the, in ancient times, here comes the charging brigade, and they're all wearing Timex wristwatches because they forgot to take them off. Whoops. I've got to look closer for that next time. <laughs> Never realized that. I just like taking in the scope of that charge. But yeah, and that's and that's the, and that's, oh, the, that's, that's the beauty of the movie. You know, you don't even notice that. Whoops! It was a, it was a goof. Right. But the fact that it pulls you in says a good thing. And that's kind of the goal here as a filmmaker. What is your goal? Is your goal to be true to history? Is it to be something that you can look at years down the road? Like right now. You know, 40 years after it happened, you could sit down, almost 50 years after it happened now, you could sit down and watch all the president's men, and you can use it as a history lesson because it is accurate. But other movies like, you know, how Titanic sunk, could you use Titanic as, maybe watch the end of Titanic as an example as to how the boat sunk? Or is it based on history enough? Or are we learning more about it as time goes? Well, there's a great comparison to that, Dave, as i Mention right now that Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. They're the main sponsor of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, and we appreciate having them aboard. If you want to catch a movie, the Bemidji Theater is a great place to go here in town to catch the movies that are currently out right now. But actually, it's it's funny that you bring that up, Dave, because I think about Titanic, and and there's obviously the love story that that come that pops out when you talk about the the 1990s version of it. But there's also the 1958 version, A Night to Remember, which is compared to it. And and sometimes people go back and forth on those movies who have a vested interest in, in the whole story of Titanic. And there are those who like A Night to Remember because of the way that it depicts many stories within what happened on, on the ship itself. Even though the sinking of it did not feature the, the ship splitting because they didn't know some of the the historical accuracy about that at that time. Because a lot of people they thought had, the sink they went down in one piece. They had discovered the boat, yeah. 1985, they found it. And there's actually a movie that came out in like 1980, 81, called Raise the Titanic, where, and the special effects were actually pretty good, where the goal was in the movie to go down and refloat the Titanic and bring it into the bay and, you know, bring it as a museum ship. In the movie, they, they do raise it. And the, th- the theory at the time was that it went down in one piece. Well, then Robert Ballard found it in 1985, and it was broken in half. And even still, our understanding of how that boat sunk is still being challenged. Um, the common theory is that the iceberg poked holes in the side, and it full- flooded too much that it could take. But there's also been some growing theory that some of the uh, underside plates got ripped off. Maybe that iceberg didn't just hit the side of the boat, right. but it curved underneath pulled off some of the planes, and that's what helped that ship to break in half, if not start to take on water, in addition to poking holes at the nose. We're still learning more about it, so could even James Cameron, even though he took a great length to go and be accurate for his movie, is it 100% accurate? The more we find out, the more maybe it is, maybe it isn't. One of the other elements of historical movies that I find interesting, Dave, is when you come across a topic where you could look at it from multiple points of view. And it might take a different viewpoint of, of the way that things played out when you look at it that way. And one of the movies that has most impressed me in that regard in how it looks at a historical event from, from multiple different angles is the movie Tora, 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 which I think is an incredibly good yeah. historical movie. When you factor in that it had multiple directors and they had a, a Japanese side to the way that they film that movie and the way that the movie plays out and they had an American side to the way that they film that movie and the way the movie and all the history in it played out 
I think it's it's an incredible telling of of the complete story of Pearl Harbor from both the Japanese side and the American side. I don't think it, it gets quite everything right, but at the same time, they would go to great lengths in terms of the sheer cast size, the characters, even having um, even having a caption with each, with each of the, the historical figures as they come into the movie so you know who it is and what role they played and maybe what some of their... Uh, their motivations were as the entire story of Pearl Harbor was playing out. I, I think it's an incredible way of looking at both sides of the story rather than just one which you sometimes get with historical movies. And as another factor to keep in mind when you watch historical movies is you may only be getting one viewpoint. In the case of a movie like Tora Tora Tora, you're getting multiple ones, and that can tell the story in a pretty important way. Yeah, I agree. And Tora Tora Tora, excellent movie, by the way. Good, good one to bring up. Uh, it is a good movie that I would show in a history classroom, you know, over a couple of different days, because it is extremely accurate um, with something as complicated as Pearl Harbor or any other major, major event. There are so many layers. You're never going to get it all into a movie, and it's not an eight-hour-long miniseries event. Um, and we're still finding out more things. People kind of forget that there were midget submarines that showed up too and may or may not have tried to launch torpedoes. You know, that has only kind of come into the public lexicon that's not really covered in a lot of those movies. Certainly not the Michael Bay Pearl Harbor, which I would never show in a history lesson class. Correct. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, in that case of the movie, you're trying to almost document uh, what happened in history. So do you take an entertaining approach to a documentary or do you just set it in as a backdrop? For example, uh, I was watching Indiana Jones a while back, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they're going into the Well of Souls to find the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Well of Souls? I was curious. And I looked around. It's not buried in the desert somewhere. It's actually in a place where people know where it is. It doesn't look anything like Raiders of the Lost Ark. So they took something that's you know, based on history. And yeah, there's some World War II in the background, but not really. It's set in a historical backdrop, but how accurate is it really? I got to say, probably not very at all. In an adventure movie like that, yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't meant to be. Wasn't That's meant the to be. important line, Dave. Yeah. And the same with, you know, we brought it up uh, before we started Inglorious Bastards. Great movie, but it is not in any way, shape, or form based on history at all. Uh, but it's only meant to be entertaining. That's right. You know, Hateful Eight set in, you know, Old West territory. Is it accurate? Probably to an extent, but it doesn't need to be. It's not about a Western. It just is set as a Western. I brought up the line based on a true story earlier on here in this episode. When you see that line based on a true story, what comes to mind, Dave? Are you expecting to see things line up very accurately? Or do you still try to keep in mind that I'm going to see a movie here, first and foremost. I think at this point it depends on the movie goer. I think there was a time where if you saw based on a true story, oh, this is based on a true story, oh, really? Then you were expecting to see something somewhat accurate. However, as time has gone by, we've either seen that misused or so watered down that the truth is a kernel of a giant mountain of popcorn movie that is not really based on reality at all. It maybe takes a little grain and spins it into something completely that unresembles what any truth may have been. So you have to be, if you don't know the history of the story, which is fine, then be not necessarily skeptical, but don't just swallow it hook, line, and sinker either. I think that's an important distinction, and it goes back to the the very thing that we said at the beginning of this movie. You've got to come in with 
the understanding that this is a movie. This has been doctored up to be able to to hit the big screen. As much as it would be nice for some of this to to be completely accurate, you've got to realize that what you're getting into and what you're wading into here with with what the direction these movies go. The question is, what are they doctoring up though? What are they adding on to? What are they leaving out? Asking those questions, I think, helps evaluate what makes for a good movie and a good historical adaptation of a movie and what doesn't, you know, with those elements. Are they adding in a love story for no reason? Well, this might be kind of silly then, especially if you're trying to base it on a true story. Are you leaving out an important person? Are you adding in somebody who maybe wasn't a part of it all? You've got to ask yourself those questions if you want to to go in and, and be able to appreciate this movie in terms of the story that it's telling as it historically happened while at the same time realizing that you're that you're being entertained as a movie goer and for different people they they like a certain standard different ways and that's you know that's the way that it goes with movies and I'm sure these production companies realize that but they're trying to find their own particular line as well and then you can go to the complete opposite side of the spectrum. Take uh, Zero Dark Thirty, for example, a very historically accurate movie for as far as we can tell. However, not all of it is completely accurate. But it was so accurate to the point that Congress began an investigation if they knew stuff that maybe they weren't supposed to know. So you got to say, that's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty darn accurate. Oh, man. But in other cases, the character of Jessica Chastain's character there was no one gal that was basically the driving force to make this thing happen. She's a, but I mean, to tell the same story told through the eyes of about, let's say, five different gals that were all basically the same thing, could you boil down all of them into one character for the ease of filmmaking? Yes. So they did. There wasn't one girl that was the force. There was one gal that she was very much based on more than the others, but others worked into it also. So all of their stories were told through the narrative of one gal. And that may be not completely historically accurate. It was enough to, it was within acceptable parameters, call it that. She represented a team of, you know, a couple of different gals that did what she did on screen. And what happened on screen was pretty accurate if you spread it over a couple of different characters. So you almost have to ask the question, is the accuracy within acceptable parameters understanding that this is a movie? Or is this, okay, now wait a minute, you know, President Kennedy didn't have psychic advisors, that's just not true, but did they add it for dramatic effect? Right. How acceptable are the parameters? That's a great line, Dave. Yeah, well, how acceptable are those parameters? I think that sums up what I was saying there earlier about about the the lengths to which they they doctor things and change things and maybe the reasoning why. Is it acceptable within the parameter that they do it, or are they trying to be accurate and this just doesn't come off as accurate as a result? I, I think that's a, a great point to make. Here's another thing that I hope with with historically based movies. My hope is that it gets people looking up the history behind the event itself and looking into historical tellings of the event. I've seen that be the case in, in several instances where even – you know, I, th- I think about my dad, and he's he's done that before. When we watch a movie that has some historical backing to it, he will look up the story itself. I've done that as well, where I'll I'll look up you know some of the details about what may have taken place in the events of a movie historically. I think a lot of people have done that with Dunkirk since Dunkirk came out, as well as as well as The Darkest Hour, because. Dunkirk was touched on in both of those movies, that particular time in history, a very dark time in history, especially in Europe and especially for Great Britain. It's it's one that has inspired 
wanting to go back and see what were some of the details behind what happened during that time frame. What were some of the details about this this uh, civilian Navy that went to go and rescue those at Dunkirk? What are some of the details about how Churchill acted during that time and some of his decisions as he was just taking over as the Prime Minister? It gets you wanting to learn more about the history and about the way that things played out. And no matter where the accuracy lies, I would hope that that is something that that does get accomplished with any movie that has some historical backing to it. And it's maybe one of the most important things that can come from it is that, okay, even if this doesn't totally line up in my idea of history, I am going back and wanting to learn more about it and maybe learn more about it from multiple angles of, of how this all played out. And then you can go into the movie understanding that, yes, this is a movie, and yes, this may not line up with everything, but how does it compare to the way that things played out? And what have I learned about how things played out? And that's a great thing. I think I think you bring up a very, very good point, and I, I almost applaud what you say. That's very, very good. Um, I think that... Um... I think that sometimes you have to look at things uh, through the prism of now, going back into history, and you have to be accepting of what you're going to find. Some movies are not comfortable because they look back at a darker time. It's a great movie, but it's a hard one. The movie The Help. It's about racial segregation in the South. And if you grew up in the northern states, it's still difficult. But if you grew up and you were down there, my dad was from Missouri, not exactly the deep south, but a lot of places they felt like they were the deep south. And that kind of culture, to an extent, did exist down there. We watched that at the house. He was really uncomfortable watching that movie because that stuff was going on in his neighborhoods, and it's not presented as a wonderful way of life. Another one, going even further back in history, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. Same way. Another good one. Very, very graphic, very, very hard to watch, and yet very, very accurate. Yeah. Th- uh, you know, Even if you're going to do a World War II movie like uh, Valkyrie and you're going to use actual locations and hang swastikas, it's not a political statement. It's going back in time. It's about the time. So to tie in with that, with what you're saying, sometimes you have to be able to take a look in the past, and when you see a movie that's really, they had different water fountains for people really growing up nowadays maybe that's a foreign concept but it was absolutely the truth so you ought to do your own thinking you ought to go back and not look at just one source you ought to go look into actual history books and find out more of the details about these historical events don't ever let any one source be your source for truth and information do your own thinking your own research look around look at different viewpoints look at ones that you don't agree with and see if they're blowing hot air or if maybe they've got something legitimately they're talking about whether it's politics or history or world events um, do your own thinking when you go watch Titanic go read up on it and then realize Titanic had two sister ships one of them you can easily get access to with just a scuba tank yes you can go take a look at it. it's off the Mediterranean but that's a whole other thing but looking at it is like looking at Titanic because they were built very much the same so it's interesting to do your own thinking because if I hadn't done something like that I wouldn't know that there were sister ships one of which is sunken in fairly shallow water you know it's it's you wouldn't learn that if you don't do the research so look at history through the prism of the movie and then go look at the real history and see for yourself where it lines up and see where it takes you that's right I, I do think it's funny though that people come in sometimes with the expectation that well, this movie is going to hit everything. This movie is going to not possible. to nail it down and and get everything historically right. It's just not possible, you know. As much as they may sometimes try, 
it, it all comes back to what is the intent here. If they are trying to get it right, you know, that's that's on them then. If they are if they are trying to get it right and also trying to put forth a movie that is going to be worth seeing, that is going to, to appeal to an audience and all of those things, you've got to understand the liberties that are going to come with that and accept that it comes with that and and be able to consume the movie then accordingly. It it all comes down to perception and it all comes down to how you perceive the movie, how you perceive history, what your what your plan is when you're coming in in terms of of how to watch it. But you know, it is funny how people have different expectations along those lines for what they're about to get with a movie. Yeah, and I'll tell you there are some movies out there that find a good balance. I don't know if I would show them as a history lesson, but it's got enough accurate history but it's also extremely entertaining that it is inter- a good example would be Charlie Wilson's War. It's a it's based on a true story, but I wouldn't call it a fully true story. But in a way, you know, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan in 1979. They were there for 10 years. And then when they left, leaving the power vacuum, the Taliban rose to power. Uh, and that brought about Osama bin Laden. And that led to 9-11. And the movie's not about that. It's about the seeds of that and how we got involved in that and how we, in a way, led to our own problem by not continuing what we'd started. The movie's not necessarily about that. It's a very entertaining story about a really colorful U.S. senator. It was very accurate, in fact. Um, but in the backdrop is a lot of this history that is actually more accurate than you would think. But it's entertaining. But at the same time, I wouldn't use it as an exact history lesson. I would let that movie, you know, tickle you. Watch what you watch and think, huh? Did that? Is this really what? Huh? And then do your own thinking. Look into it and find out. No, it didn't really happen like that. Or yeah, it really did kind of happen like that. And when you can come up with a good balance, it's informative, it's entertaining, and as a movie, that's what's most important. If you have to sacrifice accuracy for entertainment value, that's a that's a debate worth having, and I might fall on the side of entertainment within acceptable parameters. Unless, you know, accuracy be darned, the Well of Souls is really buried out in the desert. Uh, right. That didn't really happen, but that's entertaining anyway. And I'm not going to knock Indiana Jones for not being completely accurate. Another reminder, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Great place to go catch a movie here in town, the Bemidji Theater. And we're happy to have them as the sponsor for the Rick and Nick Talk Flicks podcast. Dave, that brings us to uh, another topic that comes to mind when you're talking about historical movies. And that is the turnaround between when a historical event or an event that maybe is in the very recent past takes place and then when it hits the big screen. You brought up Zero Dark Thirty earlier. I thought it was fascinating how quickly that story came about on the big screen after all of that played out. How do you feel about movies turning around and being quickly put on screen that may have just happened in terms of recent history? Or do you feel like it needs to be a longer wait to really let the facts disseminate out? Uh, good question. I don't know if I have a viewpoint on what they should or shouldn't do. Because I do. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm I'll, get, I'll get to that later, though. I'm anxious to hear it. I think, depending on the view of the movie, for example, after 9-11, uh, United 93 came out something like a year or two at the most after that it actually happened. Oliver Stone did a movie called The World Trade Center where you know Nicolas Cage was a firefighter trapped underneath. Um they were all out fairly soon after. I think the World Trade Center movie came out in 06, so it was like five years later. 
So we weren't all that far away from the events when the movie started coming out. So what's the goal? What's the aim? Is it to ignite, say, patriotism in that case? Or is it to be accurate? Because maybe you don't have all the facts yet. Like we mentioned with Titanic, we think we're pretty sure on how the boat sunk. But maybe we're not completely sure on things. Maybe we're not completely sure on particular events of any particular event. And maybe if we're going to do something more documentarian, we ought to know the facts as best we can anyway before we go out and start filming the documentary while they're still sweeping up the buildings. But I know you have a thought on this. I do have a thought. I understand that that these production companies are in a race at times to get the rights to a particular story or to to get it out before somebody else does in terms of telling how a story took place. However, I think it's a disservice to telling a story, especially a very recent one, when it often does take time for the true facts of that story to come out. For instance, with with everything that played out in, in the case of of Zero Dark Thirty and all that surrounded the, the killing of Osama bin Laden, it felt like as soon as that took place, there was that, te- there was that whole, well, who's going to get the movie? Who's going to get the movie kind of thing that came out? And I was like, we've got to give time for us to be able to reflect on this and all that took place with it and for things to come to light that only time can really give us. I think that's where documentaries are are better when it comes to, I mean, you talk about telling historical stories. They They do that. And they really try to stick to the accuracy and they try to get the the telling straight from the people who were amidst it. And documentaries that I think of are the 30 for 30 films that ESPN does. And and I love the stories that they tell, especially going back even decades. One that I saw that was a pretty extensive documentary that they did uh, about a year or so ago was the the documentary on the um, on the Celtics Lakers rivalry of the 1980s. And I loved the telling of that. It was it was a great telling of it all. Um, and of course, they also did that remarkable telling of the O.J. Simpson story um, with uh, with O.J. Made in America. I don't think you really tell a story like that without giving time to allow for much more of the story to come to light. And even though documentaries are different in that sense because they are trying to tell the story very historically accurate as much as possible. With movies, I still feel like it can be the same way. Or you can try to do and accomplish the same thing. But you've you've got to let time sometimes be able to tell more of that story. Because I think then sometimes those gaps do get filled in by things of production value, things that are taking liberties on the way it all took place. And it feels like there's such a quick hurry to turn around and tell the story. And I go, what's the rush? What's the Watch rush? CNN, here's your story right there. Right. If you're trying to tell a historical story and yet it just happened a year ago, how exactly are we going to get all the details I regarding agree. this? How how are we going to – you know, there's even a movie that's out right now, the 1517 to Paris, that, that oh, just yeah. came out about, about that incident on the train. That only happened a, a couple of years ago, and I'm going. And even though they use the the men who were in the midst of all of that, and and they use them in that in, in that movie, I still go. This just feels like it's so fast with turning around and wanting to quickly tell the story, get the rights to the story itself, wanting to get the rights to tell it on screen first and be the first ones there. 
I, I go, doesn't history and, and time with history give us more of a complete picture of, of how it all played out? And I appreciate when, when it does take time, when maybe you wait five, ten years, and then you're telling that story on the big screen. Film doesn't work that way, though. And it, it has been that way all throughout time. You did get those propaganda movies even back in, during World War II yeah. in the 1940s where they're telling these stories as they're happening. And you know, they were pretty doctored up you know, to be able to get them on screen and create that sense of patriotism, like you said. I, I just go, I, I feel like time and time allows for history to be more completely told. I'll give you a really good example of what you're talking about. You'd started with Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty, they started working on that movie before history changed as they were preparing to do it. Now, if those who follow the history of post-9-11, the Tora Bora mountain region is where Osama bin Laden was. We thought he was there, and he was there. And they went in to go get him, and because of lapses in security, he got away. And basically the story they were preparing to tell was Zero Dark Thirty. So how did we get this guy surrounded, and how did he get away? What was what happened there? And Zero Dark Thirty came out in like 2010. So this would have been in December of 2001 that the Tora Bora thing happened. So it was almost 10 years later. And they'd never caught, at that point, Osama bin Laden. had never been caught. And then, just as they're getting ready to go into production with the movie, and the final movie came out in 2010, but I mean, they started working on it before that. And then it was in 2008, was it, that they actually caught Osama bin Laden. And so they're getting ready to film a movie about how he got away, and then history changed. We got him now. So with all the research they had already done for this movie, they had a lot of their research done to the point where... Congress began to investigate how much they were really let in on because they knew stuff they weren't really supposed to know. So it's interesting how, like you said, how close to the actual events. In that case, they were so close to the events that history itself changed. The entire narrative changed. Exactly. And then you get caught in a bit of a pickle at that point. But of course, then they told the complete story and they were able to kind of readjust from there. But yeah, if you get that close to it, Things can change right before your eyes, or more details can come out that maybe you weren't quite aware of. Yeah, and who knows? You know, maybe time will tell. Is Zero Dark Thirty so accurate that 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, will it be something as we learn more over the years that you could maybe put on in a history class and learn about it? Or are we going to find out some whole new piece of information right. that, oh, the Titanic did break into, so it happened one night, isn't completely accurate, but it's not not accurate and, either. And I'm not saying that there's a seal on certain events that is a do not break until this particular date kind yeah. of thing, and then you can make a movie on it. I'm just saying, though, that I, I think there is much more that we can glean and appreciate from these stories if we are given more time to allow for the details and the historical nature of all that took place to really be disseminated out. Look it up for me. What, what year did All the President's Men come out? It was like 75, and Watergate reached its climax in 74, I think it was. What, 75? It was a 1974 nonfiction book and then a 1976 film. 76 film, based very much on the book. So if Nixon left office... I mean, it was this... Bernstein and Woodward who wrote it, so oh, yeah. you've got it right from the source there. you got it right about, from... Can, yeah. we add, can we adapt it to the screen? Oh, yeah, and there was even things we didn't find out then. We didn't know who Deep Throat was until about 10 years ago. And that is really interesting. It changes a bit of the narrative. Um, but it's accurate enough... 
uh, for a movie that came out only two years after Nixon left office. So there's, I think you're absolutely right about you need a little passage of history to get it. But in the case of, say, all the president's men, they documented it so thoroughly as it was happening. They pretty much had a lot of the information. And now, 40 years later, we know, I think, just about everything there is to know about what happened in Watergate, not just from Woodward and Bernstein, but from multiple, multiple sources. But it's interesting when you take a look at history through the prism of movies, how accurate, how not accurate, and what's the what's the purpose to be accurate to history or be entertaining. That's right, and I think it's worth keeping all those things and more in mind as as we progress on and go into historical movies. And I hope that others can take that same kind of a sense into it because it allows you to consume those movies for the entertainment value while at the same time consuming them for the historical value. How much are they trying to be true to form in terms of what happened? How much are they trying to get the, the details around maybe their fictional story true to form? And then I think from there you can get a good determination of did this work or did it not. I will never accuse you of not being a wise man. Who knows things? I at least try to think I know things. <laughs> I'm still learning things, much like with these movies and their attempt at being able to depict history. We're still learning things. The, smart, all the, the time. smartest of us always are. I think Rick and Nick are actually Rick. right around the corner. Why, Rick? Hey, uh, Welcome to your own show. I don't understand why you guys start this so early. You don't? No. Like, I mean, it, clearly, the, the show we're supposed to record in the afternoon. And come to find out that uh, it's always a morning thing with you guys. You're you having a hard time getting up at 11? Well, at 11? Is that when you guys start? That early? Where's Nick, Rick? Well, I don't have all the answers here. Okay. Well... Yeah, I guess that's why he's not doing the podcast, and we are. No, that's right? okay. So what? Uh, what are you guys talking about? What have we got? Snow in the ditch? Is that what it was this morning? I don't know what movie. Oh that no, is. wait! That was you were stuck to the theater yeah. floor with the jujube residue. You, <laughs> you know, I, they don't clean those theaters out. There's as always as they an used excuse. To. Always an excuse. Hey, what, what what movie are you guys talking about? Uh, Tinkerbell. We were talking about cleanliness in theaters. Oh, you were? Yeah, you were not. Because but the Bemidji Theater this, are perfect at this. You know, this is why nobody listens to your podcast. That's true. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm looking at the timing here, Rick, and we're you just missed about it. yeah, we're just about missed out of the boat. You, we're just about out of roll here. What are you here. talking about? I just got here. You know, we're just trying I, to keep your show on time. That's all. Yeah, my show. I, yeah, what are you guys here for? They're getting know. ready for the evening sports wrap up. We got to wrap it up. Listen, I mean, they're not paying you guys for this, are they? Because I've heard your show a few times. They doubled my salary, but zero times two is still zero. I don't think I have any portion built into my salary for this podcast. This is a labor of love. This is something that you and your money-pushing partner know nothing about. But when Nick and I proposed this broadcast, we thought it would be like an interesting broadcast where we'd talk about movies and bring things in, you know, and it would be funny. It would be things that people would laugh at and... And yet it's you not, guys are too busy happening. globetrotting to even come here and record this thing. Well, there's a lot of movies to watch, Joel. And, uh, it, it, you know, listen, when you spend a lot of time doing that, you just it, it takes some time. You know, I'm, it, not, I'm not buying this. Pop quiz, last movie you saw right now. Well, actually, yeah, too late, see? Exactly. It's interesting that you bring that up. Who's you, Dave? Yeah. So, all right, I'm sorry to crash this, um, but you guys really wrapping up? I mean, hey, what are you going to do Yeah, we really week? are. What's, what's the next show about? I, for... <laughs> Well, hold on. We don't have anything mapped out yet. Nick he and I do. We always have to map this out. Yeah, we totally know what we're going to do, oh, too. Let me see your list. Okay, be boring. Got it. Okay. <laughs> on that note, I'm Joel Hoover. <laughs> I'm Nick. He doesn't even know his own name. Right. No, he uh, doesn't. Yeah. And I'm what's-his-face. Good old. You're Dave Brooks last I checked. <laughs> yeah, 
right. Rick doesn't even know his name. This has been the Rick and Nick Talk Flicks podcast sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, and we will see you at the movies. Yeah.